today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. A high drama and, um, well, more than a little theater in the British House of Commons yesterday uh, as, uh, well, Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, uh, lost a very important vote, uh, which he thinks uh, may send them towards an election, but there's a, a tricky little thing called a piece of legislation uh, that could get in the way of this. This is a, a very fluid situation over in London right now, uh, changing almost uh, by the hour. And uh, it's it's important stuff, obviously, because we're talking about the Brexit exit and, and whether or not they're going to be a Brexit no deal uh, or whether there's even going to be a general election. Joining us to try to sort all this out is uh, Dr. Andrew Glencross, senior lecturer in the Department of Politics and International Relations at Aston University uh, in Birmingham. Uh, Andrew, thanks again for the time. Great to have you with us today. Pleasure. Uh, interesting, interesting dynamic there yesterday with uh, Boris Johnson's speech, and of course we'll talk about the vote and and, and what the uh, the implications of that are going to be. But uh, it was fascinating to watch him trying to channel his best Winston Churchill, I guess, to try to to get people on his side with the "I will never surrender" speech. Uh, I, I don't know how it didn't go over very well, I guess, in the House of Commons as as he lost the vote anyway. He certainly did lose that vote, and that's an ignominious start to lose the first vote under his um, premiership. But of course, as well, it's very in- insensitive, you could say, to start talking about a surrender document, which is when you have the anniversary, 80th anniversary of the declaration of war um, against Germany as well in 1939. The, uh, the comparison, and I guess the, 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 the parallel that he was trying to draw uh, with the speech uh, it was, as you say, uh, very much along with the speech, the, uh, the I will never surrender speech that Churchill delivered, uh, you know, when the, the parliament at that time, or at least some of the parliamentary leaders, were insisting that he go and start negotiating a peace uh, with Germany at that time. Uh, and he's, he's using that same analogy with the, the bill that uh, the rest of them, at least the majority of, of the MPs in, in the Commons, want to do right now, uh, and suggesting that what they're asking him to do as prime minister now is to go to the EU uh, with a white flag and, and surrender and simply say, look at what do we need to do here. Is that, is that an apt analogy, really? Well, it's certainly one that he hopes is going to be enough to swing the public, the public that is outside Parliament behind him. But the problem is that in Parliament, the question that's been raised today by Jeremy Corbyn is, is he actually doing any negotiating? Because you can only really convince the public that that message about surrender is true if you're in the midst of actually negotiating. And the problem is it doesn't look like this current government is doing much negotiating at the moment with the EU. Well, he's pretty much decided that he wants a, 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 a no-deal Brexit. And if that's the case, then I guess he figures, why would I even bother negotiating? That's true, but he still has been on the record from the beginning of his campaign to become leader of the Conservatives and therefore Prime Minister by saying he wanted to go for a deal. And he isn't officially yet declared himself to be the leader of a no-deal party as a first priority. That's still only Nigel Farage who's asking for that. But that might change still in the near future. Everything is very fluid, as you know. What what does the, the vote yesterday actually entail? I mean, you know, he's first of all he lost his majority, and then of course he he lost this vote. Uh, this is a pretty important day right now as to the future of, the, of this parliament, let alone uh, for the EU, the UK, and what's going to happen with Brexit. Uh, if if he if he does not get his way, does he try to dissolve parliament? Does he go to the Queen and, and ask for an election? Yeah, I mean, there is definitely a lot to disentangle here, but. The knock-on effect from losing the vote yesterday was to start a process of Boris Johnson seeking to dissolve Parliament, as you say. But that's not so straightforward because the current legislation 
is such that you need two-thirds of MPs to agree. Now, that could be changed if he gets a legislation passed with a majority to say that that two-thirds can just be done by a majority vote. But, of course, he watched his majority disappear in front of his eyes yesterday. As, as he was speaking, uh, members walked across the floor and, and, jo- and joined the opposition, uh, which I guess is a, a, not just a slap in the face to the prime minister. But I mean, again, they, that theater element, uh, uh, the, the theatrics involved and the drama involved in this, is it's really stunning to actually watch this happening in front of his eyes as he's going to speak. But uh, I'm glad you brought this up about the Fixed-Term Parliament Act, because that, that's basically uh, the, the law of the land that basically says you, as a prime minister, you cannot arbitrarily decide, that, okay, I'm going to pull the plug and go to the voters right now. So that was a rather hollow threat anyway, wasn't it? It was indeed, and the theatre is absolutely extraordinary, because we also think of Boris Johnson as a character who likes theatre. He is over the top. He is prone to these outbursts. But at the same time, he didn't seem to handle it very well yesterday and nor today at Prime Minister's Questions time. So, in fact, calling an election, if he does get that through by overturning, for instance, the Fixed Terms Parliament Act, it could be a very risky move. He might melt down a bit like Theresa May, even though his personality on the outside is very different, it would seem. Speaking of, of threats, one of the other ones that, of course, he tried to hold over a number of his MPs, the disgruntled MPs anyway, uh, over the last couple of days, Andrew, uh, was to basically boot them out of the party and said, look, if, if you don't support me, uh, then you will not be a candidate in any election and you won't be a member of this caucus. Uh, with the, the way that the vote ended up yesterday, a number, of course, of conservative MPs voted against Boris Johnson. Uh, is, 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 is he going to follow through on that now? The process is in motion to have the whip removed from them, which means that technically they can't be counted as part of his um, majority either. So, in fact, his majority has actually further decreased over the course of the last um, 24 hours. And he's also in the process then of having them or trying to have them deselected. But that could also mean a clash between local party associations who want to keep their MP, for instance, and the national party structure that might have instructions to deselect them. And that is really um, an unprecedented type of civil war within the Conservative Party, because we're talking about some big weights from past cabinets as well here, and, of course, the grandson of William Churchill himself. Yeah, that was one of the one of that was part of the irony, I guess, yesterday with the with yeah. Boris Johnson channeling Winston Churchill and, and Churchill's grandson, of course, Nicholas Soames, is sitting there listening to this whole thing. By the way, I mean, he voted against Johnson on that motion, but as you mentioned, so did a number of other high profile people like Rory Stewart and and uh, Philip Hammond uh, voted against Johnson in this situation. I uh, I'm wondering if he's going to cut off his nose to spite his face. If I mean, if he tries to discipline a gentleman of that stature, uh, he's probably going to lose more support within the caucus, isn't he? And he's certainly going to have trouble trying to reach out as supposedly a moderate force in the Conservative Party. He mentioned that at Prime Minister's Questions time today, saying that he is the opposite, in a sense, of Jeremy Corbyn. He is the leader of a moderate party. But in fact, his actions seem to be pointing in completely the other direction. So when it comes to appealing to a wide section of voters, these moves are also very hazardous. Losing the vote is one thing. But to actually lose a vote that's actually going to cause the government to fall, that pretty much, ha- it has to be a financial bill, doesn't it? It depends on on what um, he prepare, he's prepared to put in front of the House. And, of course, the opposition, by convention, can also call a vote of no confidence, and the government has to um, bring that forward if it 
so requests. But Jeremy Corbyn is trying to avoid falling into a perceived trap here because the priority is still to try and get the no-deal Brexit eliminated, the threat of that eliminated, before then coming to a potential general election. But it's really a very fluid situation. Well, how does Corbyn react to this, though? That's an interesting aspect of this whole thing, Andrew. Uh, clearly, he'd love to have an election because he wants to be the prime minister. Uh, but at the same time, he, uh, he, he, this, this October 31st deadline is looming there. And uh, Where are his priorities right now? Is, is it to deal with Brexit or is it to, to get rid of Boris Johnson? Well, within his inner circle, there's been a constant battle about whether to prioritize getting into power or dealing with the Brexit mess. And at the moment, it seems as if, in alliance with some of the other opposition parties, the priority is now shifting towards dealing with the Brexit mess in terms of at least ruling out the no deal and then getting around to thinking about a general election. Although there's still a third option, which is if there's a vote of no confidence and that goes ahead and Boris Johnson then has to resign, there's the possibility that without a general election, the Queen could ask Jeremy Corbyn to actually become Prime Minister if he commanded a majority in Parliament, which is possible, even without an election, given all these defections, given the breakdown of the Conservatives. That's a, an interesting aspect and a very important part of the parliamentary process that I think we tend to forget an awful lot of the time that, well, if a government falls, that they automatically get an election call, that, that the Queen in this particular case would actually go to the opposition leader and simply say, can you form a government? Uh, do you think those discussions are actually taking place behind closed doors in the parliament buildings right now to see whether or not Corbyn's got that sort of support? I think that it would be the natural outcome, if they're not discussing it at the moment, certainly the natural outcome that if the opposition parties, with the help of some, in a sense, marginalized conservatives, can actually bring about eliminating the no-deal threat, then the next move potentially is to think, could there be an alternative government to actually start a different kind of negotiation and reset relations with the EU? Is the EU open to negotiation at this stage, Andrew? The EU is going to be increasingly puzzled by what on earth is going on, because Everything seems to be playing out in the House of Parliament, but at the same time, there needs to be some discussion, some dialogue with Brussels, and that seems to have broken down at the moment. So on that basis, the EU is really awaiting further, in a sense, clarity from the British side of things, but the deadline is ticking, and it's not going to just simply extend the deadline on Brexit unless something changes in Parliament. Well, and that would ensue if, in fact, there was any negotiation or any conversation going on. And the insinuation I heard yesterday from Jeremy Corbyn is that, look, at Prime Minister, you haven't done anything. You said you were going to have some negotiations with Brussels, but you haven't done that yet. Uh, but that has to be the first step. Is there any possibility that Johnson might just, just give in and say, okay, fine, I'll talk to them, I'll negotiate, I'll ask for an extension? If he did, he would really have his tail between his legs, and it would um, obviously set Farage off against the Conservative Party big time. And so it seems like that really wouldn't be a move that would be um, that he would be able to countenance with Boris Johnson. It would really be the end of his, any remaining credibility. And of course, a lot of people suggest he doesn't have much left anyway. Well, uh, this is a guy that has been lobbying for the, the, the job of a leader of the Conservative Party and lobbying to be the Prime Minister for years now, uh, probably ever since David Cameron stepped down some time ago after the, the first referendum, of course. Uh, is there a possibility, then, if, uh, if there is a, a change there? I mean, Johnson's got to love being in, in, in that position. I mean, he wanted to be the Prime Minister probably all his life. 
But is is he the sort of guy, though, Andrew, that will say, okay, I'll do whatever it takes to keep this job, or is he the principled enough to say, no, this is my stand, and if I lose the job, I lose the job? Well, it might not be up to him. It might not be even a question of his principles, because he's got into power by, in a sense, trying to pull out all the stops, going against David Cameron, going eventually against Theresa May as well. So he's got few allies left in the traditional sense in the traditional wing of the Conservative Party. So he's actually marginalized himself. So if he doesn't have the support of the public, then his space within the Conservatives is actually quite hollow by this stage. So he might be forced out on that basis. Do the Conservatives look at that now and say, excuse me, Excuse me. Uh, did, did, hey, uh, maybe we need to consider our leadership options at this stage. I mean, we were talking earlier about uh, about people like Rory Stewart and others that uh, were rumored to be involved in, and maybe interested in leadership. And obviously, Johnson was the, the guy that ended up winning this whole thing. Uh, is there a little bit of buyer's remorse going on with the Conservatives now? Well, the real the acid test, of course, would be a general election. But the question is, if it comes to a general election, how will Boris Johnson fare with his personality and his policies, especially towards the EU. Rory Stewart, as you mentioned, is a much more likely candidate to get votes in places like London, in Scotland even. Boris Johnson has alienated the kind of voters that you find in the big cities, in Scotland as well. And so on that basis, if he doesn't win, then the Tory party will be very quick to dispatch him because all they want at this stage is a winner. What about the public's attitude towards uh, Jeremy Corbyn? Uh, he's he's being painted out, obviously, by not just Boris Johnson, but even before that by Theresa May as a radical and not the sort of person that you really want running the UK at this particular time. Uh, but he seems to be about the only alternative at this stage. If, they, if they've if they turned on Boris Johnson, uh, does Corbyn have popular support? Would people hold their nose and vote for him? Or uh, is, is he even something that the, the, the voting public would actually consider as an alternative? Well, his numbers when it comes to personal leadership skill qualities and how the British public evaluates those are very low. And he suffered in the period since the 2017 election. Those numbers have fallen quite sharply. But at the same time, if he has a convincing message on Brexit, some of his other policies are actually quite popular. Policies about changing the basis of taxation, trying to have policies to reduce the number of people who have to rent houses at a huge cost. So those things could work for him. I mean, because Labour has formed governments in the past, uh, but uh, if you look at people like, well, Tony Blair or even going back to Wilson as, as, as Prime Minister, uh, they, they were much more moderate and, and actually maybe taking the, the Labour Party a little more towards the middle. Uh, Corbyn seems to be somewhat more of a, of a, well, to use the term that Boris Johnson uses, a radical like that. So uh, can they set that part of Jeremy Corbyn aside? I mean, he was always considered to be somebody who was kind of on the outside looking in. And uh, I'm wondering just what the public's perception of that guy as a prime minister might be. Well, that's that's absolutely key because his policies are much more popular than he himself is as a leader. And so on that basis, the Labour Party faces a real paradox about having the right policies but the wrong leader at at this current moment, and especially because he's been associated with lukewarm support for the EU at best. And that's why... as a change of policy when it comes to perhaps offering another referendum on EU membership, there might be more voters willing to give him a go on the basis of saying that if he's less radical about the EU, maybe we can also 
put in place some a change of direction at the national level while still solving the EU issue that the Tories don't seem to be capable of doing. Andrew, is this going to be resolved uh, in the next couple of days? It just seems as if we're getting to a crisis point right now, and, and something's going to have to happen. I mean, the, the pressure buildup here over the last couple of weeks has just been almost insurmountable. It's a bit like watching Theresa May, but now on steroids, because we seem <laughs> to have the same kinds of dynamics, structural issues with the negotiations, the idea that a change of leadership could alter all of that and unlock the negotiations now being proved, I think, wrong. And so on that basis, I think things are going to come to a head and evolve very quickly so that we should have some clarity, certainly by the end of September. Uh, which gives them plenty of time, obviously, before that October 31st deadline then to try to resolve this or at least get some, some discussions going, I guess, with, with Brussels at that stage. Uh, I, I just got to throw this out here because every time we have this discussion about Brexit, uh, th- somebody always throws about the idea of, well, maybe there should be a second referendum. Is, th- is that even under consideration by anybody now or is, th- is the, the horse out of the barn? Well, back in April, one of the um, things that Theresa May was still talking about was to try and actually have a referendum on the terms of the deal, if the deal had actually been passed by Parliament. She was willing to countenance an amendment to say that the terms of the deal should be put to the people in a vote. So I can see that still re-emerging if by the end of this month we have a situation where the negotiations have properly started again or where we know that there's going to be a general election. These things are still going to be likely to come up. Andrew, uh, it's it's fascinating to watch the the political process as it uh, unfurls itself, of course, over the last couple of days. And it's always great to get your perspective on this. Thanks so much for the time today. Absolute pleasure. Take care. That's uh, Dr. Andrew Glencross, of course, from uh, Aston University in Birmingham. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.